Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Sincere apologies for being a day later than usual on this. Uh, it's my fault for getting married. Um, you didn't get married. No. No. It did feel, That weekend did feel like a turning point in my life, but I think it's because yesterday was my closest brush with death ever. Had a di- you had a divorce, a divorce of brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm running out of opportunities to move in that direction, but... Yeah, I pulled these guys away from their lives and their loved ones and their kids to be absolutely belligerent for a weekend. Uh, And I want to say it's a small miracle that we're all here. We did it, though. We made it back. We did make it. All three of us making it back. Whoever took the the over, whoever took that parlay on like Brad, Ryan, and Evan returning from the bachelor party, you you must have had unreal odds and you hit it big. What were the odds on our well-being after making it back? We did, No one even offered those. It would have been too long. Yeah. Uh, although, how many times did I tell you and Evan to shut up while I was, you know, addressing the entire bachelor party to say thank you and, you know, <laughs> love all of you guys and this is one of the best weekends of my life. And <laughs> Ryan gave a one-minute speech at the key dinner. Uh, where he was trying to not get too sappy and emotional and rush through it as best he could. And twice in this one minute long speech, he told me and Evan to shut up before we even said a word. I was too busy with the the brioche buns. I wouldn't have said anything. I still feel I was like I was justified, but you're right. The food was distracting. I don't remember exactly what you said during your speech, but I remember I had something for it. So you were right to <laughs> tell me to shut up at least one of the two times. And Evan and I did witness Brad become a... Uh, a foodie convert. That's oh, no, right. I know what that meal cost. I, I converted to nothing, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Anyhow, we won't make you guys uh, suffer through. <laughs> you're going to you know, you're, you're gonna be suffering the after effects of that weekend just by hearing our voices or looking at our faces if you're watching this podcast on YouTube. But without further ado, let's get into hockey. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the inter- NHL and international hockey. I am just barely one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about the blockbuster trade that finally happened in the NHL as Brad's favorite player that doesn't wear the winged wheel got moved and thankfully not to Detroit so we didn't have to hear or have that argument. Uh, But Eric Carlson finally got dealt and uh, it was a, a pretty big trade with three teams involved and somehow Pittsburgh got younger. We'll be talking about some international news, uh, other contracts in the NHL, some things related to the Red Wings, and more before we jump into overtime. Uh, Before that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to support the show uh, and join the so-called Dub Dub Club, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. Additionally, uh, during the off-season, our midweek episodes are completely Patreon-exclusive. Those midweek episodes are a little bit of a different format than these main episodes, but still a lot of fun, Uh, some more evergreen hockey and Red Wings-related topics. So our patrons get access to that uh, as our way of saying thanks for supporting during the off-season. One thing your patronage helps us do is support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and speaking of which, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is hosting the Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom presented by Trinity Health. Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino in Detroit. It's going to be a fantastic event. Obviously, the roast of Thomas Holmstrom and the toast of Nicholas Lidstrom is uh, always going to be a good time. But the fact that they have Doc Emmerich, Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, and Jim Ralph leading the laughs in entertainment, uh, you don't want to miss out. So catch us there. Ken, the entire uh, crew that you just heard, uh, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. Motor City Casino in Detroit. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. Brad, the Eric Carlson deal is done. We don't have to have any stupid hypothetical conversations about him coming to Detroit or anything about that. Yes, we do. We drafted him. 17th overall. Again, thank you. For those who don't know, Axel Sandin Pelica. <laughs> and is that silly? Yeah. Are we going to run with it because it's the offseason? Also, yeah. 
But no, in, in all seriousness, the Eric Carlson deal was done. Pittsburgh was one of the few teams on the radar. Carolina was the other big one. There's a lot of Toronto noise actually around this too, more than I really made sense to me. But Pittsburgh is the one who pulled it through. Uh, newly appointed general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Kyle Dubas, as appointed by president of hockey operations, Kyle Dubas, uh, really pulled out a blockbuster for his first deal as GM. A doozy of a deal. So the Penguins got Eric Carlson with $1.5 million retained, so 13% of his salary for the next four years. Dylan Hamlick, a 2026 third, and from Montreal, Rem Pitlick. The Montreal Canadiens, who are the third team in this deal, got Jeff Petrie with 25% salary retained, Casey DeSmith, uh, Nathan Legere, and a 2025 second from Pittsburgh. And San Jose got very funny that he's included in an Eric Carlson deal. Mike Hoffman, uh, Mikhail Granlund from Pittsburgh, Ian Ruda from Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's 2024 first round pick, but it's top 10 protected. So if that ends up being a top 10 pick this year, then it slides. So funny enough, Pittsburgh got younger. And I don't know that San Jose acquired all that much for him. Like I, I'm the one who was arguing you don't really give up a lot for Eric Carlson because he is not on the right side of 30. And yes, he just had a Norris season, but you're going to have to be paying him probably. And it turns out to be $10 million, even with salary retention for the next four years. So they freed up a lot of cap space. Yes. But I don't know. I feel like Pittsburgh made out like bandits here. This one is so tough to evaluate because of all the unique circumstances around it. I don't think San Jose did all that poorly given what the market was and the market would not get stronger. He just won a Norris. It cannot ever possibly get higher for Eric Carlson than it would right now, especially at an 11 and a half million cap it. I didn't think a first round pick was in play. So the fact they were able to swing that in the trade is probably as good as they could have possibly hoped for. Only having to retain one and a half million uh, on that contract as well is probably feels like a win to them because they are now just freeing 10 mil off their books for the next four years, which going into a rebuild is valuable. Again, I don't love the return for a Norris Trophy winner, but all the circumstances around it, I think this is about as well as they could have done. Pittsburgh made out really well here because... To facilitate this trade and accommodate the cap room, they did what we talked about a couple uh, weeks ago where they moved out Jeff Petrie and Mikhail Granlin to make it happen because that's almost 11 mil. I know they had to retain a bit on Petrie, so it doesn't make the math perfectly even, but they are in essentially the same spot cap-wise now for the next two years. The back two years of the Carlson contract is a net negative for them, but I don't think Pittsburgh will be contending by then. Look at the age of their core. They know it's one or two more years at best, so they're perfectly happy eating those last two years, I would assume. Montreal comes out of this really well. They get a second-round pick. They unload Mike Hoffman. They get some more depth in net, even though they already have a ton of depth in net. And they get Jeff Petrie at 25% retained, who they can then flip at 50% retained and give you know, Jeff Petrie at 2 point something million is not terrible value for other teams despite his decline. So Montreal stepping in as the uh, middle team here actually really plays in their favor considering they didn't retain anything on the Carlson contract. They just helped Pittsburgh unload the Petrie contract. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't really see any real losers of this trade. I know everybody always likes to say, oh, someone has to win, someone has to lose, but I can see every team's angle and, you know, uh, hats off to Kyle Dubas because that was a tidy piece of business. They move the Ron Hextall brain dead moves and they free up a little bit of cap space and they get Eric Carlson. So I don't know. All this looks very decent for all the teams involved. Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins are in a unique spot and you alluded to it, Evan. Ron Hextall left him with multiple, multiple pieces that were anchors, albatross, contracts they were stopping them from trying to move forward and you know restock the pipeline and work with their cap space and they have you know call it a curse if you want but you you got three cups for it so i don't think pittsburgh fans are really that upset 
But the Crosby Malkin situations are they're going to finish their careers in Pittsburgh, and that's the price you pay on the back part, Who cares of, right now? part of their Who deal. Cares? Yeah. So you have to try to give them every chance to win, even though Crosby, who's the best player of his generation, and Malkin and Latang, they're not really young enough to be a guaranteed cup competitor against the likes of McKinnon McCarr or McDavid Dreisaitl or whoever else is coming up. And that's just, that's father time. But he still moved the team forward. And as Brad was saying, gave them one of the most unique and talented puzzle pieces they could have acquired in Eric Carlson. Is that $10 million a season going to be painful? Even after one year? Yeah, probably. Even if it's after two years. But it doesn't matter because they were already facing that wall and there's no dodging it. They're, they're hurtling right into it and they know they're going to hit it. I will bet anything, anything in my life that Cal Dubas had these conversations when he met with Pittsburgh ownership before he took the president of hockey operations position and then interviewed well and got hired for the GM position. He said, look, I would love to do this work for the team, but there is no dodging the fact that there's going to be some hurt in X number of years. So you have to tell me what you want. Do you want me to blow it up at this moment and try to get better probably after Crosby and Malkin are all wrapped up in their careers? Or do you want me to give this one more kick at the can and Last then delay dance, the baby. rebuild? Yeah, Last it, dance. And that's what it is. And very obviously, we know the direction they went in. I don't think you're going to find many Penguins fans who are going to say, yeah, we don't. We wanted Crosby to play out his glory years in, you know. Uh, Arizona. Yeah, or for facetious, meaningless games in Pittsburgh that they knew they weren't going to win. No, they're going to say, yeah, we're happy to give Crosby and Malcolm Latang another chance to try to do this thing one more time. And you add Eric Carlson to that mix. That is like, as someone who didn't really think that it was worth spending all that much on Eric Carlson, because I've seen a much worse version of him not that long ago, I thought that was really masterful work by, by Kyle Dubas and the Penguins. They undid a lot of hurt from the previous GM, and they did pretty much the best possible move they could have done to give this team one hell of a chance, relatively speaking. I don't know that this makes them a cup favorite or anything, but it, it pulls Pittsburgh back into a playoff conversation. Real tough look for Ron Hextall when you get Granlin at it was this trade deadline, right? Yes. And now he's gone immediately. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't feel bad for Ron Hextall, but it's just funny to watch all the the bad moves get undone as quickly as possible at the regime change. We've seen a GM come into a team and have to do some moves from the previous regime, and that generally takes some time. Yeah. And you combined a few steps here. And they did it. I think they technically got younger. Like I, they still, even though they brought in Eric Carlson when they did, like, or at the very least, like they made themselves, it's not like they, they took a massive amount of hurt on age or salary. What is very funny is Mike Hoffman being part of the, an Eric Carlson trade. Like that's objectively hysterical. Sometimes the enter, the NHL accidentally trips into some entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike Hoffman, who was in San Jose for what, like five minutes? And then was flipped back to Florida. Didn't want to play out east, but got traded back there anyways. And then ends up now back in San Jose again. Now let's talk about Eric Carlson and what he can do for Pittsburgh. I know, you know, he had a Norris winning season. He just put up 100 points. This is, look, these point totals are hysterical. In 71 games, 62 points. First season with the Sharks, 45 points in 53 games, 40 points in 56 games, 22 points in 52 games, 35 points in 50 games. And you're like, wow, the Eric Carlson that we knew as one of the best defensemen or offensive defensemen of his generation, like that's gone now. Beats his career high in points by almost 20. 101 points in an 82-game season. Is that a flash in the pan? Is that Eric Carlson in his first year without Brent Burns? It is that, you know, an abnormally high-scoring year in the NHL and Eric Carlson just capitalized with, what was it, 27 power play points. Is all of this going to be repeatable for Pittsburgh? And does he pull them that firmly back into the contention window out of the East? Well, the dynamic with Chris Letang, for one, will be interesting. And 
it's hard to say because it you, you can definitely say it's not a flash in the pan because all his down years were his injury riddled years where he was working out, you know, missing half his ankle and Achilles or whatever else it was. So it made sense that there's some regression and this could have just been the first year he was fully healthy again. And San Jose without Brent Burns and, you know, having to lean on him a lot, like endlessly. Yeah. It makes sense. It jumps up because it's easy to forget. Like, and what was it? The 2017 playoffs, Eric Carlson was the best player on the planet. Like forget, defensemen, forget offensive defensemen. There was a, a several month stretch where Eric Carlson was the best hockey player on the face of the earth. So we, it's no, no surprise he has this in him. It's a little surprising that he still does at 33, but you know, sometimes it's as simple as just a player getting healthy and that could very well just be what this is. Can he stay healthy though? And are you willing? We we said before they're not saying, "Yo, yeah, Eric Carlson's going to play eighty-two games times four years in a row." I would bet that they know exactly the fact that they're going to lose a lot of Eric Carlson games due to just injury and age later on. But pretty much, they just want to stay healthy now for the next season or two. It almost doesn't matter to me what you think of Eric Carlson at this point, like really, because they just swapped out. Mikhail Granlund and Jeff Petrie for Eric Carlson. Like the cap hits line up almost exactly. So even if you don't think all that much of Eric Carlson, there's no arguing he's an upgrade for the same amount of dollars as Jeff Petrie and Mikhail Granlund. Yeah, Carlson's contract's two years longer than those. But like I said earlier, I don't think Pittsburgh cares even a little about years three and four because they know they're out of their window by then. So that's probably when the rebuild starts. Hell, they might trade Eric Carlson in year three at half retained to kick off the rebuild. Yeah. Right? So who knows? But yeah, the the way the, the trade was structured was very favorable for the Penguins. For me, the big wait and see is Eric Carlson has always been most productive when he is the the guy. Uh, when he is the lone offensive output from the back end or the main the main contributor on the back end, we saw in San Jose with Brent Burns, didn't really work for whatever reason. So it'll be interesting to see with Chris Letang there how they sort of match that up, um, how, they, how they play to both players' strengths and how Eric Carlson can still produce. I don't think, you know, Chris Letang being there is a detriment to Eric Carlson's um, production, but it, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy both of them. And you can't really take favorites because, you know, Crystal Tang's been there forever, fan favorite, still produces offensively as well. So that'll be very interesting to watch over the season. Mike Greer gets his cap space back. This is a guy who's trying to pull San Jose out of some pretty deep depths. And he saw a moment to trade Eric Carlson and knew he had to do it. Again, I don't think they especially won the trade, but you do have to give some credit to what the point he raised of that cap flexibility is imperative to be able to do what they want to do with this team. You free up $10 million a year for the next four seasons. That's not nothing. Just in one player. Obviously, there was movement in terms of the way that whole trade shook out, and it wasn't you know exactly how San Jose landed, but they said this is a player in Eric Carlson who hasn't gone as planned when he got signed to this mega contract here at West. And he just had a prolific season, won the Norris Trophy. If we are ever going to be able to trade him, it's now. And if we are ever going to be able to trade him, retaining minimally and still get an asset back, which is that first round pick, it's now. Eric Carlson's three years younger. Eric Carlson's making a couple mil less. Eric Carlson is, you know, in some different circumstance, they might have been able to squeeze more. I do think Dubis did exceptionally well in this situation, but Mike Greer is not walking away with nothing. He is getting that flexibility back. So San Jose moves in that direction. And as you mentioned, Brad, on Montreal, this is just a smart way to jump in as a third team. They're not trying to win the Atlantic next year, so there's no problem at all for them doing what they did. Got themselves a couple pieces, second round pick, and maybe they turn Jeff Petrie into something else. Exactly. It's the, it was found money for them. Pittsburgh, playoff team next season? If it's not, they've totally just messed up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think they are. I mean, God, you can't tell me the Islanders are still better than them on paper, right? I don't know that you can guarantee one above the other. I will say... I like Sorokin. Yeah, yeah, I think they have the better goaltending. But I've I've seen the Islanders outplay their roster how many years now. But if Pittsburgh stays healthy, which is a big ask of guys who combine to be like 180 years of age for their core, or like, that's a big number. What how, What did you say before we hit record, Evan? They have like oh three gosh. guys under the age. Yeah, <laughs> way back then. Uh, <laughs> like they have they very have three, few players under the age of 30. They have three forwards under the age of 30. So asking for that kind of health is a big ask. I think Pittsburgh should be able to finish above the Islanders is what I'll say. Yeah, that's probably the best way of looking at it. Hockey's so random, right? Like, there's so many teams. Who else is dropping off? Because after this trade, most people think Pittsburgh's getting back into the playoffs. A lot of people think Buffalo's getting into the playoffs this year. Who are the two teams from last year that's coming out? The Islanders are the obvious ones to point to, but does a Florida fall off? Boston. Does a Boston fall that far? Is New Jersey a flash in the pan? Is Are the Rangers too top-heavy? Like, it's going to be a real interesting playoff race in the East this year because there is probably 11 to 12 teams who legitimately think they can make the playoffs. That's the other thing is like I look at this and I'm like Carolina, Rangers, and Jersey. Those three, by all rights, still should be able to have really strong near-dominant seasons in the Metro. Not to say Pittsburgh can't factor in, But if they're going to make the playoffs and want to be part of that conversation of, yeah, this could be the team who makes it out of the East, they're going to have to have an unreal run. We're getting too far ahead of ourselves talking about, you know, the Stanley Cup and whatnot. But Pittsburgh did what they could. Again, I mentioned before, Dubas knew this was the job coming in. You just give Sid and Malkin one last chance or maybe a couple last chances at uh, winning the Cup. But it's not as if players, or sorry, it's not as if teams are falling out of the Metro right now to welcome them in. They're still going to have a grind ahead of them. Anyhow, fun trade. Carlson, part of a blockbuster move once again. Cool for hockey fans. General manager Kyle Dubas, his boss is a real prick about stuff like this, so he had no choice but to... uh... (laughs) I wish I could be my own boss. Yeah, it's not bad. You're not even close. No. We can't pay you that much. No. No, you cannot. Unfortunately. All right. That is the uh, Eric Carlson trade. Let's get into some more news from across the NHL. How about that Tom Wilson contract? What the hell are the Capitals doing? They are doing the equivalent for Sid or the equivalent for Ovi as Pittsburgh is doing for Sid and Gino, just in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, because Ovi's got what, four years left on his contract? So they're having planning on extending him another four years and having Tom Wilson ride shotgun until Ovechkin's 45? Tom Wilson, seven-year deal, $6.5 million per year. That is a lot of years for a guy who just turned 29, so it's not as if he's over the hill or anything, but that's a lot of time and money to Tom Wilson. Now, let me say, Tom Wilson has proven to be an extremely effective player in multiple ways in the NHL. Uh, he has a lot of fan bases that hate him. He just had a 50-point season in 2021-2022. Last season didn't play as much, 33 games, ended up with 22 points. So not you know scoring lights out, but can be a 20-goal scorer and a guy who will absolutely pummel the other team physically, legitimately with his fists, and can change the momentum of a game. Is often in that gray area. I think at times in his career, he's been well over the gray area. I know a lot of teams very justifiably hate him. Uh, He's been suspended for some of the things that he's done, and he's also walked the line a bit. But no matter which way you cut it, Tom Wilson has been, you know, effective for Washington. But seven years times $6.5 million is a big contract to give to that player type. I don't mind 6.5 for Tom Wilson. That's pretty fair for the player he is right now, but he's 29. He's probably already starting his decline. But my biggest question here is what is the Capitals plan? They have almost no farm system to speak of. They missed the playoffs last year. Yeah. The OV gold chase is enough of an excuse to 
like not rebuild for a few years. But when that's over, what is Tom Wilson a placeholder on this team as they start to tear it down? Is he the, well, you can't trade everyone when you start a rebuild? Because that's about the best logic I can come up with for this contract is he helps Ovi along the goal chase and then he's the guy you keep around through the rebuild just so the kids aren't, so the average age of the team isn't like 21. Well, the good thing for Capitals is the $6.5 million is essentially only AAV because he will almost certainly get suspended and certainly will be injured. <laughs> so they'll actually only end up paying him like $5 million a year. So it's really not, it's not a bad, uh, a bad bet. The funny thing is after Obi's last contract, I still remember it. It was, he signed that, uh, that contract that was a little bit over $5 million a year and everyone was like, that much for Tom Wilson? And first of all, he came out and played really well. And secondly, yeah, he got suspended almost instantly and all the jokes were, oh, well, got that yeah, much cheaper. So that one was uh, interesting to see. Again, I, I do think they're beholden to Ovi. You know, three years left on his contract and he's going to stay in the NHL as long as it takes to pass Gretzky's goal record, which he, by all rights, should be able to do, barring catastrophic injury or something else happening. He looks like he has it in him and he's going to stay until that happens. And you need good players to be able to do that. It's funny enough, like Pittsburgh's almost in a better spot. At least they're going for the cup. I don't think it's particularly likely that Sid and Gino can do it, but at least they're going for a cup. Washington is almost brazenly saying, yeah, we got our cup. And it's not that we don't want to win, but this team is a little ways off from being cup competitive. We just need the team to be at least halfway decent so Alex Ovechkin can score as many goals as possible to try to be the top-scoring player in NHL history. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, but if you're a Caps fan, you're essentially watching for a record break right now. Oh, this team's going to be real bad for a real long time. It also largely depends, right, on how Backstrom comes back from his, was it hip resurfacing? Yeah, they could be okay this year. I still don't think they make the playoffs, but it wouldn't be shocking if they did. But they got, what, one, maybe two more years where we can even say that? They're a team in flux for sure. I've seen teams do enough, like their GMs can make some moves to to make it work as a holdover period. I think they've made some pretty decent moves here and there to kind of make it so they haven't had a catastrophic collapse or at least not in a permanent way, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how they they navigate these waters. If they're going to start looking to the future, they're going to need to do so in a big way soon. Okay, uh, one other piece of news. Matt Dumba, who is a name who came up uh, quite a bit uh, over the past little while, signed a one-year $3.9 million contract with Arizona. So the, at one point, big name right-handed defenseman on the UFA market ends up with a one-year contract at under $4 million per year. A little bit of a fall from grace from Matt Dumba. Not that there's anything wrong with betting on yourself. He's just hoping that when the cap goes up, you can get a little more. But a one-year deal in Arizona for sub $4 million was not what a lot of people would have projected. No, and he must not have wanted to come to Detroit because Detroit probably should have done that if it was on the table. Whenever guys sign this late for that much, it's very obvious that they tried for something different for much longer. Oh, a thousand percent. Because if this was on the table, a lot of teams would have taken that. Is Matt Dumba even good anymore? Wasn't he healthy scratched a bunch yeah, last year? Yeah, he, he's okay. He's a high risk, high reward guy, still turnover prone, throws himself out of position sometimes to try to make those big hits. But I mean, when they connect, holy hell. But for the most part, is is still your decent all around defenseman when he's mentally checked in. Anaheim avoided arbitration catastrophe with Troy Terry, which would have been cool to see because Troy Terry is a great player. And if it meant he was leaving Anaheim at some point, 31 other teams would have been happy about that. But they ended up doing the smart thing, signing him for seven years at $7 million per year. I know that's a lot of money and a lot of cap, but they get Troy Terry's best seven years uh, at a, I think, a decent dollar value. Great player, probably pretty underappreciated. Yeah, no, that's a phenomenal deal for Anaheim, and he's likely only to get better. Good for them. And good for a former Detroit assistant GM in the little ball of hate and Pat Verbeek. 
He's doing some tidy work over there, even though he made them sweat. Very Steve Eisenman-esque. Just grind, 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 and then it all turns out okay. All right, some international news. Uh, the Helenka of the Summer Showcase. Brad, you take us away with everyone you want to start with first. Uh, I'll take away as much as I can. Uh, I would have loved to have had a more detailed report on this, but some a-hole dragged me away for the last handful of days, so (laughs) did not get to watch as much of it as I want. Uh, So I'll just focus on the Red Wings version of the Summer Showcase to start, which was just that four-team World Junior prep tournament between two versions of a USA team, Sweden and Finland. Uh, One of the big, I don't know what to call it, out of nowhere, pleasant surprises of the tournament was Anton Johansson uh, on the Swedish blue line. And if you're wondering, who's that? You and other, uh, many other hockey fans would be saying the same thing. He is a fourth round pick of the Detroit Red Wings last year. So he came in and firmly established himself as a very strong bet to make the world junior team for Sweden now, playing a very strong all-around game, skating Uh, improved dramatically and was more assertive in the offensive zone than he typically has been. And a lot of people came away very impressed. Axel Sandin Pelica was in the highlight reel uh, early in the tournament for getting absolutely walked by Lane Hudson from behind the net, which was uh, the low point of the tournament for him. (laughs) But then he also put up one of the highlights of the tournament uh, on an unreal rush and an unreal goal. And after that incident was one of the better defensemen in the tournament, as we would expect from him. And he didn't play a lot, and he didn't have to play exceptionally well, but Trey Augustine did nothing to hurt his chances of retaining the role as World Junior starter in net for Team USA. Yeah, the Anton Johansson one was good to see. He was one of those picks where you tune into him or you you check in on his progress every once in a while, but as it goes when Detroit has a ton of picks, especially in later rounds, as you mentioned, Brad, you're not always thinking about from that draft – Anton Johansson, you're thinking of the pick before two rounds earlier, Dmitry Bochelnikov, or maybe you forget that Dylan James was also a second round pick, and Marco Kaspers, who we've really been talking about, who also got selected in the fourth round, Amadeus Lombardi. Not all of these players are going to hit, and Anton Johansson has not been the subject of a lot of focus, but as we described him at the time, the kind of pick where that project could turn out, provided all things kind of track well. So, Really good to see a depth Red Wings pick come out and have a strong showing out on an international level with his peers around. Also kind of a shame that people don't know more about him. And I think it's just a function of Johansson, Johansson kind of thing. They see a dot Johansson and they're like, oh, you mean Albert. <laughs> hey, Anton shoots right. Albert shoots left. You know what the possibility here is? Poor Mick. Mick's like, no, we got to do something about this. There was a non-zero chance that we could have had a bottom four grouping of Wallander and Wallander and then Johansson and Johansson. It would have been incredible. No, thank you. Every color commentator across the league would just throw the papers down and go, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) This is like someone who stopped watching the Red Wings 10 years ago, decided to try and predict who their Swedish defenseman would be now and got lazy. (laughs) I do hope we see a Johansson-Johansson thing at some point. And with Trey Augustine... You know, we were excited about the Trey Augustine pick from the moment it happened. A good World Juniors, a good season of Trey Augustine. As Kosa goes through his year, hopefully with a significant role in the AHL, it's it will be nice, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it would be nice as Red Wings fans to be able to have a strong season of strong goaltending prospects right now with a more than viable starter in the mo- at the moment with Billy Husso. That would be beneficial given the draft capital they've invested into the position. And with Sandy and Pelica, yeah. I mean, you saw the Lane Hudson thing and you're like, <sighs> every good defenseman, every good defensive prospect, every good prospect has a clip somewhere of them just getting burned. But the fact that it was at the hands of Lane Hudson, who a Red Wings, if you want to call him rival in Montreal Canadiens, they have this you know, hero pick with this guy who is half the size of Brad, but 55 times as talented. And you're like, oh, of course you're going to end up on that highlight reel. But then Axel Santin Pelka gave us the kind of goal where, as you mentioned, Brad, this is what this player brings. And dancing around the 
other team's defense and bringing that kind of offense, that's the kind of special attribute that makes Axel Sandin Pelicans stand out amongst his peers. Let's not forget there's prominent highlights out there of Eric Carlson getting walked by Dylan Larkin and Nick Lidstrom getting walked by Pavel Bure. It literally happens to every type of defenseman. You notice how long ago, how far back you have to go for a Nick Lidstrom one, though. Yeah, it was literally like 95, 96 around then. It was, it was a minute. <laughs> yeah, they didn't call him the perfect human for nothing. And then any kind of takeaways from the Halinka? Uh, tournament typically dominated by Canada uh, was, for the most part, dominated by Canada. Tough to see out there, too. Yeah, the Fog Bowl 2.0. That was uh, fun. Uh, how about Malcolm Spence winning the gold medal in overtime with eight seconds left on a breakaway? That's thrilling stuff. That is the stuff you are dreaming about from your, the time you were three years old. That kind of a play in a foggy rink, like those are the, the hallmarks of junior hockey in North America. Against Czechia too, which should be pointed out. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, Czechia made it all the way to the gold medal game, which was good. So but I do know Berkeley Catton is a name to keep an eye on because he ripped that tournament apart. Okay. Some more news here. I'm going to step away from active hockey news. And this is one uh, Red Wings related, but I think is important to note there was, and let me preface this by saying this isn't politics. So if you have a political opinion on this, I promise you none of this is about the actual political decision or party affiliation or anything like that. It is legitimately a Red Wings focus, and that is about Vladimir Konstantinov and the fact that he had essentially a, a reaffirmation of his insurance coverage for his high, high, high cost of care that he's needed to have ever since that um, unfortunate limo accident all those years ago. Essentially, this kind of coverage was minimized, and Vladimir Konstantinov had to you, you would have noticed him a lot more in the public eye over the past few years. He had to do signings of memorabilia and meet and greets and, you know, put himself out there to essentially try to cover these expenses. And those who support him had to, to try to make all that happen. And even though I love every time we see Vladdy at a Red Wings game and we, you love any opportunity of fans who are, are like just overjoyed to meet Vladimir Konstantinov. You, you, you're happy to see that and you're happy to see him still part of hockey town in the Red Wings world. It broke my heart to see him have to do that just to make sure that his coverage, his care, his, all that cost of legitimately living needed to be floated by his efforts rather than, you know, the actual coverage after an accident that wasn't his fault. But the ruling came out that major changes in the recent, uh, Michigan car insurance system don't apply to people who were, as stated, catastrophically injured before that 2019 law kicked in. The Supreme Court essentially decided that Vladimir Konstantinov and a lot of those like him have their uh, relief and their coverage reinstated. So I hope that this kind of ends any need for Vladdy to have to do anything beyond what he wants to do and that he can live uh, comfortably and just enjoy being part of, you know, the Red Wings world and beloved by fans everywhere. So just wanted to call that out. I know there've been a lot of people asking about you know, fundraisers for Konstantinov and it wasn't the most popular thing, but we've said time and time again, like we're always very, very happy to support, but for the astronomical dollar figure that is needed for his care, like that needs to come institutionally. I would have loved to have seen the tab be picked up uh, by those who could afford it, but I'm I'm happy that it is now. So I'm happy for Vladdy. I can't wait to see him at future Red Wings games, and uh, this Red Wings legend deserves to be um, as comfortable as possible and get all the care he needs. Last little fun topic here, and this is just because uh, I saw it float through the feed, and it's the offseason, and it's been a while since we've had uh, a meaningless debate on the show, even just a few minutes. Uh, first of all, Dylan Larkin, congratulations, I believe, recently got married. Big summer for him. I'm sure that planning process was very easy, but uh, congrats uh, to Dylan and his uh, wife. But something that has uh, floated around was a, <laughs> I think it was NHL, was it NHL or NHL Network? Yeah, NHL Network put out one of their top 20 centers list. And I was surprised to see Dylan Larkin listed in the top 20. I have not seen this list. 
19th. I was going to try and guess it, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say somewhere between 17 and 20. So that feels right. Connor McDavid in order. McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Crosby, Hughes, Point, Eichel, Barkoff, Pedersen, Tage Thompson, Zabanajad, Rupe Hintz, Nico Heischer, Tim Stutzla, Sebastian Ajo, Kopitar, Malkin, Larkin, Lindholm. Not bad, actually. No, it's not terrible. That's a pretty good list. I feel like Pedersen's too low. I agree that Pedersen's too low. That's my initial thought. I feel like Stutzla could be bumped up a peg or two. Yep, we're we're pretty in line right now. Everything else feels about right to me. I think if Barkov had a bigger postseason, I would be way better about him in the top 10. And I'm a, I'm a huge Barkov fan, but I'm wondering if Tage isn't a touch low there as well. Not that 11 is bad by any means, but isn't it really interesting and kind of fun for Red Wings fans where for a while you said, yeah, is Dylan Larkin a number one center right now? No, but he's Detroit's number one center too. No, no. He has more than earned the number one center status, and he is a number one center in this league. But is he like, you know, one of the better number one centers in this league? And I don't think you can really argue with his place on this list. I would have a hard time saying that. Honestly, ask me after this season, there are players here who Dylan Larkin might further surpass. There would be people who are also going to do really well and, and move themselves into the conversation. But Kopitar, Malkin, like you don't know how age is going to affect them in the kind of years they have. Dylan Larkin has performed well enough and cemented himself in this kind of upper echelon of number one centers in the NHL. But one of the points we talk about consistently is a little proven by this chart, but my quick check there, it looks like three teams have two centers on this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that feels like semantics because I feel like they probably list Mitch Marner as a winger. So Toronto could also be on there. The Red Wings don't have anybody else sniffing this list right now. <laughs> not until Nate Danielson comes in. And not until Marco Casper comes in. And then they'll have three on that list, right? Yes, that is definitely how that is going to go. <laughs> Detroit's third line center will be one of the top 20 centers in the NHL. Absolutely. 1,000% without any doubt. Yeah. As long as we are giving ourselves the opportunity over the offseason to way unrealistically compare Axel Sandin Pelica to either Eric Carlson or Chris Letang, I will also gladly celebrate any opportunity where Detroit can now confidently say it is not crazy that they have a good number one center in the NHL. But this is also proof in the pudding for what Brad said. If you want to be a cup contending team, you need more than one of those generally. And that's why I also celebrated Detroit taking another center in the first round because they still need to solve that issue. Okay. It's the offseason. We are all running on fumes and leftover dregs of uh, very, we had really good wines with that dinner, eh? Mm -hmm. I don't know that any of us would have been smart enough to pick them, so I'm glad actual professionals did for us, but they were really nice. They were really good. We're going to jump into overtime. Overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. You get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, as well as our midweek episodes, which during the off-season are all Patreon-exclusive. You get access to our Discord, and you also are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters, and the same thing is going to happen this season. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. The Jims says, hey boys, did you see Raymond and Mo at the Lions training camp? What Red Wing could hold their own, in your opinion, in the NFL? Who would get destroyed? I'm counting down the days till Wings training camp. Who's with me? Berggren would be dead no matter what position he played. You have to be so big and strong to play in the NFL. Like, he feels small for a punter, honestly. Who would do well? Oh, this is Ben Sherratt, yeah? Ben Sherratt, yeah. Because he's, he's athletically gifted, so he's, he's huge and he can move. That feels like it takes, takes two birdie... Pretty big boxes for football. I feel like it would depend on Moe's foot speed, but he could potentially, with his reach, do well as a receiver. I could see it. Rasmussen, maybe. Yeah, Rasmussen. Who would be the quarterback? Is there any... Maybe Larkin? It's probably Larkin. I could see Perron. Yeah. Aren't quarterbacks like 6'4 these days? Not, well, not that, all of them. 
That's what made me laugh. Like just how big football players are. If you know what you know, everybody's reputation is in the NHL on the Red Wings, and you know everybody's reputation in the NFL and the Lions. I don't think a lot of people would have predicted Jared Goff to be bigger than most cider. Is he really? They were standing next to each other. Jared Goff was bigger. How tall is Jared Goff? He's got to be at least 6'5", apparently. That is unreal. It must be uneven standing. And po- that's very like possible. The, but the Tom Cruise no, they're, films. They're both listed as 6'4". Maybe one had their cleats on, so they look yeah. taller. Or... Either, like, yeah. either way, you did not equate them in the same ballpark. No, no. Mission Go. Impossible. They make Tom Cruise look bigger. That's what was happening there. What do you mean? Tom Cruise is huge. Yeah, he is. By the power of... All the evidence we have points to it. Uh, Next question here from Matt Leslie says, in your guys' opinion, what year should the Red Wings have fully committed to rebuilding? I had this debate with my friends and we all agreed that after the 2015-2016 season, the last playoff appearance, Ken Holland should have stripped the team down to the studs and really committed to being a lottery team. Curious to hear your thoughts. Even that last playoff push felt lucky to get in. Like, remember those last couple of years? It was like right down to the wire every year. And the Red Wings never got in on their own merits. Like some other team just absolutely dumped the bed right leading up to the playoffs. What year was it where the Red Wings had a win and they're in on the last day of the season and all they needed to do is beat the Rangers and they lost comfortably, but then Ottawa like smoked the Bruins or something like that <laughs> unexpectedly and... Detroit got in because of that. Yeah, that's was, when they should have started rebuilding. Yeah, do, and you know what? For those who don't know, early days in the podcast, <laughs> when we we still were, you know, finding our footing, and so when there was a big backlash to anything that we'd say, we were like, "Oh wow, maybe we should back off this." But we pretty much got told to piss off because we were talking a lot of, "Hey, the Red Wings are going to be in some contract hell pretty soon, and they can't be doing things like signing that abdicator contract or." You know, oh my God, they re-signed Jonathan Erickson again. Why? And the picks aren't really turning out and they haven't had a lot of high picks. They don't have a lottery winner, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is going to bite them soon. That was, you know, one of the first things we talked about on the podcast in terms of a broad scope for the Red Wings. So yeah, what year should they have committed? We started the show in around 2015 and that feels right, if not sooner. Yeah. It's hindsight's 2020. You didn't expect offloading Datsuk to go the way you did. I think there's a strong argument to say if you're going to be making that big of a push for Steven Stamkos, you need to at least know that he's interested, but that's neither here nor there. All of this to say, whether it's on the GM or ownership for pushing the GM to get to the 25-year playoff win or the playoff appearance streak, then that is what it is. But the rebuild should have started much sooner. Give Wallman the heart says was rewatching some Nate Danielson highlights and I've become a big believer in his skill, but the amount of times he made insane plays to set up his teammate to just absolutely whiff was baffling. How do we get this man traded to the Winnipeg ice? Uh, you can't, you literally can't because the Winnipeg ice don't exist anymore. They're the Wenatchee wild now. Con- funny enough, uh, their top line of Connor Geeky, Matt Savoy, and Zach Benson is very likely to be Team Canada's number one line at the World Juniors this year. I forgot they ended up in Wenatchee. Yeah, it didn't happen that long ago, so it's it's easy to forget. But yeah, yeah, that would be nice. That being said, Brandon's supposed to be better this year. Not that uh, Nate Danielson will be getting a Wenatchee Wild level of support, but he might actually, some of these crazy plays that he does make, might actually end up in the back of the net more often than not, or at least more than they did this past season. The Jacked Scientist says, football is my sport. I follow the Premiership, the Champions League, and you all nailed the season setup and how cup games are sprinkled in throughout the season. One thing they do, though, is add international breaks for a week or two in the season. This is where the World Cup slash Euro qualifiers happen. Despite the logistics, would you like to see an NHL international break where players play qualifiers for the Olympics or other hockey tournaments within the season. I don't know. Like, I think that works a lot in an established, again, international soccer slash football. I think that makes sense. I I like the way teams qualify for the Olympics and world championships and in the future, hopefully World Cup now in how the IIHF does it. Maybe once NHL players are back into those comp- competitions more consistently and things, that I'll have other d- feelings about it. But if there's going to be an international break, it needs to be for the actual tournament that we're talking about okay i have an actual very in-depth answer for this that 
we should bring up on another summer episode. But my quick version of it is they can and they should for a couple of reasons. The main reason is an 82-game season gets pretty tedious, so just having something different sprinkled in two or three weeks a year would be a nice relief just to watch. If the NHL hates the Olympics so much, they should focus on their own World Cup a lot more. So sprinkling in World Cup qualifying games with with the players who are going to be participating in it would garner a lot of interest for it. You watch four years of World Cup qualifiers, you're going to pay attention when the World Cup of Hockey comes around. And two, the way the international uh, ranking system is structured right now is so flawed because so many of the tournaments happen when NHL players can't be there. Like the the World Championships have a lot of weight to that ranking where, you know, I think Joe Valeno was legitimately Team Canada's first line center at one point this tournament. Like that's not an accurate ranking, you know what I mean, of what you're getting. So if the NHL wants to build their own thing, doing something like this only adds to build it. Yeah. And makes, if the NHL hits the Olympics, it makes the Olympics less necessary. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. It's your boy, Al, says, which of these center prospects do you think are more likely to switch to the wing versus staying at center? Oh, boy. Well, if we just talk the big three, Danielson, Casper, and Lombardi, I'd say Lombardi just because of the size skating combo. Yeah, I agree. And his talents would blend lend very well to the wing. So that would be my vote. If I had to pick one, it would also be Lombardi. If you're going to say only one of them stays at center, I would say Danielson, but that's not really by a lot. I can just, it's more that I could see Casper's game translating with ease to the wing. And it, let's call this out. It's easier to go from center to wing than from wing to center. Center is a difficult position to play. Doesn't always, you know, display the best characteristics that a player has, or that is to say it hides some of their best characteristics because of the playmaking responsibilities because of the kind of rover all over the ice responsibilities. We've seen it time and time again. Michael Rasmussen is a good player, and I think he's way more effective on the wing where he's able to use his body, crash the net, not have to be a play driver, that kind of thing. I think Casper and Danielson both have really good chances to make it at center and stick at center in a big way, but Danielson to me is leading that list, then Casper, then Lombardi. All right. Uh, question here from Kevin Wolf says a few episodes ago, you guys mentioned how poorly the NHL has been marketed. You referenced uh, something from a while back, an article about the NHL being poised so well for the future while the NBA was not got me thinking clearly hockey has suffered. It's been passed by soccer in the States. Let's pretend you're given the power to market the NHL, including to make any changes to the game slash business side, as well as player and or team movement. What are some things you would do to grow the game? As an American, I'm biased, but I'm thinking specifically about growing it on the national stage in America. Personally, one of my first things would be to get the two marquee players out of Canada, preferably to somewhere in the eastern U.S. I have to say that is like an unpopular opinion, but we've talked about it a lot. McDavid being not in the eastern time zone and not on an American team, that that is just so much money attention, new fans, et cetera, that is gone from the NHL. Like Gretzky practically created hockey in California and look how successful it has been. If you put Connor McDavid, and that's the Western time zone. If you put Connor McDavid either in a new market with a lot of potential new eyes or, you know. I've heard Boston's looking for a couple centers. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I don't think Boston really needs new fans right now. Like it's just, you have an opportunity to bring the best player on the planet to a market that either has fans who have been untapped or have him playing even at a time where fans from different teams can tune in and watch him not long after dinner time. Like, I don't know if it's, you don't want to rig the lottery to pull it, put him over there. That's not what I would do, but they, the NHL missed out a lot. just by That's why they did it in Chicago. <laughs> That's right. Not according to Kyle from Chicago. No, but in all seriousness, like I think, you find a way to get the the marquee players into markets that could use new eyes, like that would be massive, massive, massive for the league. Make it more accessible, whether that's how you stream your games or how it's broadcast on TV. Nobody should ever have to struggle to watch a team play. 
the accessibility of watching the game to me is such a big one. Like it just drives me insane every time you have to flip to 17 different services to use something that doesn't even work. And if you want to watch this stream of the the team that you actually care about, you need to either be in that market or use a VPN. Like, oh my God, just make the game easy to watch. If you don't have the product where people are going to be falling over themselves to watch it because they don't know how great it is yet, you need to make it frictionless for them to tune in. Would the NHL love to be able to replicate what Inter-Miami is doing with Messi right now? Yeah, absolutely. They would love to create a brand new team. Like Gary Bettman would never admit this, ever. But if they created a brand new team in Salt Lake City or in Houston or let's say Arizona got a team and they could Phoenix. Dr- Phoenix needs a team. Yeah, let's just say that. And they were able to drop any player there. Imagine they could put McDavid on that team, what that would mean. Is it the same cultural impact of Messi? No, Messi is probably the greatest player of all time. I think he is. And this is the biggest sport in the world that America is really just kind of tapping into in a newer way. Uh, the MLS and their growth has been substantial over the past you know, couple of decades. But you could still do so much just by having that kind of excitement in a new market. How many new Inter Miami fans are there now? How many so- new soccer fans are now? Are there now? Hockey can do the same thing. It's just you need that stroke of luck, and you kind of need some ruthless business acumen to do it too. You got to be willing to make some hard changes. Udalali has a uh, question here, a suggestion. Says, "What are some of your best and worst takes on the wings over the course of the podcast?" So I'll open this one. I was a big Danny DeKaiser fan. I loved the way he thought the game and the fact that he wasn't the toolsiest defenseman in the world, but he thought it really well in terms of how to play defense. And I thought the way he displayed that, especially early in his career, he was really exciting when he came out of college and played for Detroit. I love the fact that he chose Detroit. Detroit was his favorite team. There's a whole story of another team, you know, meeting with Danny DeKaiser when he was an unrestricted free agent coming out of college. And they thought they had a good meeting with him at, I think it was a restaurant and then they all went to the parking lot and he drove away and they saw that he had Detroit Red Wings license plates and they went, yeah, we're not getting this guy. <laughs> Pretty sure that was Danny DeKaiser that that happened with. And he made a big difference in 2013. I've maintained that had he not broken his thumb or his wrist, Detroit, I think, would have beaten Chicago. They were up 3-1 in that series. Chicago won the cup that year. That was Detroit's last real chance at the cup. And then Danny DeKaiser signed that big contract and I was like, it's a lot of money, but I think he could still get even better than where he is now. Very obviously his career got derailed by injuries and his game didn't age well as a result of it because he just physically could not keep up with his brain on the ice and that contract became an albatross and boy, did I have, that was a bad take on my part about that contract being at all decent. Don't forget you also defended the abdicator contract. I tried to see I tried to see the light in it and that was also very wrong. I I I fought a lot more fervently for the DeKaiser contract. The abdicator was one was I was like maybe I'm I'm willing to see how this one could work and that was yeah even more wrong. Most of my worst takes revolve around prospects I thought were going to be great in the trade system <laughs> that just turned out to be nothing. Not not even like Great. Just guys I thought would be good regular contributors that barely ever stuck in the NHL. Uh, I won't name names, but there I could go at least a half dozen deep on that one. Uh, it's why I'm now so pessimistic about prospects. It's like, no, you have to prove to me you don't suck before I fully buy in. Yeah. Best take I ever had? God, have I had any? No. No, I don't think no, so. I no, I just... Nothing, I, come to, nothing comes to We've mind. been wrong about just about everything. That's pretty much our MO. Yeah, the amount of times where it's either the learned pessimism or let's call it the realism about what it's like to sign unrestricted free agents or when you draft prospects, it's makes you realize how much just doesn't work out in the NHL. And yeah, you don't want to gloat about being right about things that suck. <laughs> I just watched the Red Wings uh, videos that they get post that get posted on Twitter, and I eventually remember what some of my bad takes are. Oh yeah, forcefully. <laughs> yeah, the, the Red Wings social media team always does a great job of. <laughs> and and again, we love it, but 
anytime someone shoots us a message is like, oh, you're in the newest uh, uh, video that the Rodings just posted. I went, oh God, what did I say? Yeah, what, what did I do now? <laughs> and they'll go years back too. It's, it is fun though. We, we had simultaneously our uh, best and worst uh, prospect opinions in back-to-back years because, oh boy, were we wrong about Mo Sider. Yeah. But then we made up for it because we nailed the prediction on Lucas Raymond the next year. Yeah. You know what? The Mo Sider, like, very wrong. Like, we were like, oh, he would have to hit in such a big way. And then if he was that good, why wasn't he projected higher? But he did. And it turns out everyone was wrong. But I like that the player that we really wanted has still turned out to be really, really good. Yeah, we we spent the year banging the drum for Lucas Raymond. So when we got him at four, that was... Because when we fell to four in the lottery, my first thought was, well, not getting him now. Well, I mean, like, who did we want that wasn't... Most cited in that draft. It was Trevor Zegras. Oh, you're talking, going back to that one? Yeah. 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 So at least it was it was very wrong, devastatingly wrong, but not catastrophically wrong. Yeah, it's not like we were sitting here, you know, talking about a guy who absolutely flamed out and became nothing. Like, yeah, okay, the guy we wanted the most is the next best player in that draft after Mo Sider. Yeah. It's, and for the record, for so people know. And also, we were banging the table for Cole Caulfield if Zegras wasn't there. And he has also would be probably the next pick after Hughes, Cider, Zegris. Like a lot of people, like so many teams missed out on Cole Caulfield. Were we really going to do this again? And Debrinkit was such a hot store in the NHL at the time. And it turns out the league did do it again, and he fell to Montreal. For the record, too, and people ask us about this. This is one of our, the most popular questions that happens uh, when we talk to people off air. They're like, you know, what do you... What's it like to record the show? Do you ever just get completely destroyed for takes you had, positive or negative? We're not afraid. Like we, what Evan said is genuine. Like we're happy to get out here and get our opinions out there. And some of this show is news and reporting, and some of it is opinions and analysis and debate and discussion. Inherently, the three of us will always try to offer all the different perspectives. But in terms of our actual opinions, we very often always have at least somewhat different opinions, and so we'll always be wrong about something. There's passion injected into our takes, and that will influence if they end up being good or bad when when everything comes to fruition. And, See, we're, and we're not scared to have that. I think no. that's part of the fun. Yeah. See, I found the perfect formula here. I All my unbridled optimism for all these prospects um, was panned online after, and I was ridiculed because of how wrong I was. And then all the the negative takes I had that were objectively ended up being correct, I got blasted online for being a pessimistic asshole. So I've worked it out that I get yelled at no matter what I say. So the bar is subterranean. The expectations are nil. Which is appropriate for you. We've, we it, have found the sweet spot. It works out very well. We all know our niche in this Under world. promise, under deliver. <laughs> the Winged Wheel Podcast. <laughs> Folks, thanks for uh, for bearing with us through these off-season episodes, especially one where this one, completely my fault, all three of us are are working to recover. So uh, future episodes will be a little bit more energetic, and we'll say. And again, we're in that valley of the off-season where news isn't always that big or that Red Wings related, but will always bring you anything and everything to do with Hockey Town and across the league. So thanks for tuning in, tuning into this off-season episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. For patrons, we'll be back with you midweek with another Patreon-exclusive episode. And then for all of our listeners, next weekend we will, of course, have our another, uh, another main show, and it will come regularly on the weekend on Sunday evening. Without further ado, we'd like to thank all of our listeners. Uh, if you want to support the show but you can't support on Patreon, another way to do so is to leave the show a rating. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google. Um, those ratings and those subscriptions mean a lot. And to all of our patrons, especially our name-level supporters, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burger's Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, on behalf of the Mooseheads, I apologize for Firk, Zadina, and probably McIsaac, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Britannanaluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evan and Brad do rock, paper, scissors for the YouTube viewers. No. All right. 
Exquisitine, Bublate, Schwinslow, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassab Malkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Larkin the Cat, and Raymond walk into a bar. Marcus, Marlon, Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, I'm from Waterloo where the vampires hang out, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K, Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Max Boltman's Secret Gruff Sparty Tattoo, <laughs> Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, and your second favorite patron. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.